welcome to the Be Military Fit podcast, a special series designed to help develop physical fitness and mental resilience in everyone. Brought to you by Be Military Fit, the world's best outdoor workout. In this podcast, we welcome David Hay, former two-weight world champion with 32 professional fights, 28 wins and 26 knockouts. David joins us on the pod to talk about his professional career, as well as how he's transitioned to retirement, leading a healthy, strong, fit lifestyle. This pod was recorded during one of our Monday Night Live shows for BMF, where we welcome a live audience to ask questions to the guests. So sit back and listen in as David delivers some great stories and some strong messages which we can all benefit from. David, are you there? I'm here, mate. I'm here. All's well. Good to have you on board. And first of all, a huge thanks for joining us on Monday Night Live. Um, It means a huge amount to all at BMF that you've um, got involved with us for this week to help inspire our members and motivate our members. Uh, First of all, could you just give us a short background about uh, the the Boxing Week, what our members have got in store and and why you kind of came up with it and what was the the inspiration behind it? Yeah, since the lockdown, everybody's obviously realised how important physical health is, you know, making sure that your immune system's strong, making sure as fit as can be. And um, it's, it's been something that I've really enjoyed seeing the, that's in the nation doing, you know, from Joe Wicks doing his morning workouts, the PE for the kids, you know, getting people up and running, bigger people moving, you know, touching their toes, jumping around. Young kids is giving them a good introduction into health and fitness, as I believe is one of the pillars of any uh, healthy human being is making sure from an early age, it's really important from an early age, you instill the the ethos of physical health and exercise as that is, is, as, is as important as eating well, getting to bed early. There's so many different things that your parents tell you, but in my household growing up, exercise, I used to see my dad doing press-ups, doing sit-ups every day, every morning before we went to bed, we do press-ups in the morning. Have you done your press-ups yet? And I've instilled that into, into, my, into my family and I can see the results. I can see that he's He's, he's, he's always fit, he's always healthy, he's always ready to, he's always energized, rarely is he sick. And I definitely feel um, teaming up with BMF, you know, so, you know, getting out there in the parks, you know, getting the fresh air, you know, running around, doing, you know, boot camps, training, doing, you know, army style training is so important for, for everybody. So even if it's half an hour a day, even if it's just a, a tiny moment uh, of your day is, is focused on yourself. You spend so much time focusing outward on everything else. You know, you've got your, your business here, your family here, relationship here. You know, you've got all different things. Your phone's constantly buzzing. You, you're constantly, your brain's in so many different places. We need to sometimes quiet the noise and look inwards and focus on getting the best out in ourselves. Because without that, you, you can't do anything else. You're going to crack. You're going to get sick. You're going to break down emotionally particularly physically that they're, they're interlinked they really are linked and it's it's all about finding a, a time during the day for a short period of time just to, to to do some exercise to get your heart pumping and to get the blood flowing and that will just set the rest of the day uh, perfectly so teaming up with bmf is for me it's, it's a family it's, it's you know everybody i've met in a bmf family they're all connected in one way or another whether you're you know, in, in up north somewhere or in London, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful family and people are all on the same boat knowing that health, health, is, health is first. That's right. It's a great start to the, uh, to the evening's event. I mean, you couldn't have said it better. And especially now, it's so important that we exercise. You know, the government is saying we need to get out and be active for, for at least an hour a day. And I was just chatting to you before, actually, before this, about how the the government advice used to be 30 minutes uh, three times a week, but now we're being told to do something for an hour a day. It's like everybody is actually doing it. I think almost this has turned into an opportunity for people to do something about it. So my question to you is how have, how have you turned this into an opportunity, not only for yourself, but also for Cassius, your son, and uh, keeping him active? Yeah, you know, Cassius is very, is very fortunate that before this, 
uh, lockdown. Exercise was, you know, paramount in his life. He goes to a sports academy where he plays hours of tennis every day. So he's, he's very, he's one of the very lucky few. But even though he's not at school anymore, he's not boarding in school, he's, he's at home. He's, he's doing more exercise now than ever before. He's, he's doing these Zoom calls with his friends and they're doing press-up competition. They're doing squat thrust competitions. And it's not just him, it's all the other kids, even kids who don't go to a sports academy, just buddies of his from, from family, friends. They like, went up into, went up into the, the room yesterday. He's, he's blasting out a, a circuit. He's completely out of breath. He's drenched in sweat. And he's doing a workout with his friend just because he can. And this lockdown, if you can't manage to get yourself into good condition or better condition than you were before lockdown, I don't think there's much help in you because if there's ever a time now to have that spare, that spare moment, that time, you can't spare one, one half hour of your day to do some exercise. Now, during lockdown, I don't know what to tell you, but um, this is a good start to get into good habits. So when we go back to some form of normality, it's ingrained in you. You've done it in the morning, whether it's a thing you do before work, at lunchtime or up after work, try to pick a time that you can stick to. Because if you can have that time before work, we know, okay, you do it, once you've done it for two or three weeks, it's part of your DNA. You then wake up and just crack on with it. It really makes, it really is important to pick a time that you work at and just stick to it. And you'll find it becomes part of your life and you'll then cluck for it. You'll then need that training. You won't feel as good if you don't do the training. And at the moment, if, you have, if you're not used to training, it's a little bit tough to start off with. You get a little achy back, achy legs. But when you get over that phase, it's, 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 it's a beautiful thing. And you'll get them endorphins, the genuine endorphins. You'll get the, you know, you, you'll feel the energy. And you, your work, your work, your productivity in work will go through the roof. That's right. You're talking about habits there. It's something that we've touched on a few, on a few occasions now on Monday Night Live and on the BMF podcast that you create habits and this is a massively good opportunity to create a habit because you've got day after day, you can do that same thing and it will then get ingrained as, as you say. I'd like to, before we go into talking about Cassius and how you know he's motivated at the moment to stay fit and healthy, when, when did you start? You know, when did you start thinking about boxing as a career? Um, when did you start thinking that actually you know, training and sport was something that you wanted to get into? Was it from a really young age? Yeah, it was from as early as I can remember. I, uh, I used to tell anyone that would listen that I'm going to be the heavyweight champion of the world. That was it. I wasn't going to be a rugby player. I was, I was going to be the heavyweight champion of the world. And I told everyone that I met that. And my party piece was uh, my dad's friends would come around and uh, I'd tell them that I'm the heavyweight champion of the world. And I go, I put the hand out for me to punch it. And my party trick as a kid was being able to generate freakish power in punching in a big right hook, a big haymaker. And I used to use, but I got really, if you can see, I got really sharp knuckles yeah. and, I've, and I've always had it. And I used to hit them right in this little sweet spot here with my big knuckle. And no matter how big the guy was, he'd go, you could genuinely see the, uh, they can't believe that this little kid hit their hand as hard as he did. But he didn't realize that's all I used to do and all I, all I wanted to do. Then I remember being a kid watching uh, Rocky Four. I was, I, was, I, was, I was a very, very young kid watching Rocky Four, and uh, he fought Ivan Drago. And I remember the, the, the training montage when he went to the, to the mountains and the snow and he was pushing his body, he was training. My dad did, was, did martial arts as well when I was younger. So I was always watching Jackie Chan movies and Bruce Lee movies. So I was big into combat sports, combat, combat in general. Used to love it, used to really, used to could love watching people fighting each other when the big, big fights would happen. Um, my, 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 my parents' family would come around and friends would come around and it would be a carnival-like vibe watching the big fights. So I used to, as a kid, watch the, the adults getting so much entertainment from this little box and these men fighting each other. It was like, this is it. This is what I need to do when I get older. And I, you know, my, my dad didn't let me do boxing until I was 10. Um, I've been asking from when I was probably four or five he, until I was 10 years old, he didn't let me go to the gym. But when I was 10, I went to Fitzroy Lodge Amateur Boxing Club and I was there for, for 10 years. It was tough, it was hard, but it's, it was the, the discipline that someone who has my personality definitely needs. 
and I'm a bit of a rebel. I've always kind of done what I've wanted. I never like listened to the teachers. But in that boxing gym, you have to have respect. If you want to be there and want to be part of that community, the boxing community, you need to you need to toe the line. You, you no swearing, no spitting. There's no disrespecting your elders. Is you you have to be you have to be on point. And that was where I got my my discipline. And it was training. It was you know if you don't if you quit if you don't train hard as hard as you need to inspiring, you're going to stay in inspiring when you're tired. Instead of doing four rounds, if you're not doing what we're asking you to, you're going to do another four rounds. Maybe in today's society, they wouldn't allow a kid to get beaten up at 10 years old by a 30 year old. But it worked out for me. I think I was, I needed a bit of tough love growing up and I definitely got it. And it, I, be, I believe that going to the gym every day after school, definitely without a doubt, um, put me on the right path. I've got many, many friends who come from the same estate in Southeast London as I did. Many of them are dead, many of them are in prison, many of them are drug addicts. They've, they, a lot of them have gone off the path. And I believe after between when school finishes and when you go to sleep at night, that period of time is where the damage is either done or is not. And I fortunately for a large majority of that was in the gym where I, whatever energy and boisterousness I had was well and truly used up. So by the time I got home, I just wanted to eat and go to sleep because I've been at school day long, clucking to hurry up, finish school, finish school. All I wanted to do is go to the boxing gym after school. So I went into that gym. When that was done, I was ready to sleep and it just, and the cycle went like that for many, many years. So was, um, was, Did you taste success at an early age or did it take a bit of time to kind of get that, not only the habit of training hard and pushing yourself and being part of a, a group or a family? And, you know, I know those sort of local boxing gyms like the Fitzroy or the Peacock Gym, all of those places, you know, you go there and you can stay there all day. But yeah. did, you, um, did, you, did you taste success from an early age or did it take a while to that, for that to come, come to you? It's, uh, it spends what you, what you define as success. I, when I had my first fight, when I was right, it was a gym, it was a gym fight. So it wasn't a real, it wasn't a real fight. It was a referee and the, all your family was there. But because I was younger than 11 years old, it, it wasn't really a fight. So it wasn't a winner and loser. Although I knocked the kid out in a couple of rounds, it, it, there was no winner or loser, but it was just like a way to get the younger kids to get in there. And that's when I got my first real taste for it. And then I had a real fight when I was, I think it was 11. It wasn't a real fight. It was another fight, which was on my medical card. And I remember knocking the kid out in 12 seconds, my fastest ever knockout. I remember I was so pent up. This was the real one that, and everyone was there. I must've had a couple of hundred people there, you know, and my adrenaline was pumping. I was so nervous because I've been telling everyone I was going to be the heavyweight champion. And here I am, I've got to fight another little 12 year old. And I remember running over and just pounding this poor little kid. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and, and the feeling I got after that and everyone was cheering. It was, that for me was, that was a sort of confirmation that this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I, I am going to be. Okay. And then for the next few years, it was starting to build up in the amateur scenes, then eventually turning pro in 2002. Um, and going into from amateur to pro, is that an easy decision or is that something that well, takes a long time? I wanted to go, I wanted to turn professional when I was 19. That was my plan. Um, I think 19 or 20, uh, the, the 2000 um, Olympics. I wanted to go to Sydney Olympics. Uh, I went to one of the trials um, where I fought a guy called uh, Jacob Fragameni and lost 11-1 on points. Um, go on YouTube and check that fight out. I didn't. But that's, that's, that's what the scores said at the end of it. So that was my opportunity. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, I didn't make it to the Olympics. Um, I beat, a, I beat the, the guy they sent instead of me. I beat him. Right. Knocked him out of cutting a couple of rounds prior to, but he went in front. Long story, but I'm over it now. But um, just about. And um, <laughs> there was um, it, there was a it, there was a time where I I felt like I needed to win the Olympics. I thought I have to win the Olympics, and then I realised, you know, uh, it's like, if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. And um, I would have need to have waited till I was I think, 24 years old before I went to the next one. So in 2002, I went to the Commonwealth Games and uh, I, I had one fight. I knocked a guy from Pakistan out and I, I tore my bicep. And I remember thinking to myself after that, how about if this was the Olympics? 
because I thought it was my divine right that any tournament I went into, I won. The last of tournaments going into that, I'd won them all. Like I've beaten all the top uh, Russians, Ukrainians. I'd beat all the top guys in the world. And I went to the Commonwealth Games, which was in, in Manchester. So it was my time to shine. And I got injured after one fight. And I remember thinking, I can't wait another two years to get this gold medal because there's no guarantee you're going to get it. You know, I thought it was a guarantee I was going to win the Commonwealth Games. There was no one in the Commonwealth Games, I think, in the top 10 in the world. And I was think number two at the time. So I was like, if that could happen now, that could ha happen anytime. So I thought my ultimate goal was to be a heavyweight champ in the world. So let's get cracking. Let's, let's turn professional at cruiserweight. Right, wait yeah. below that. Yeah. And um, and start from there. So I, I I made that decision, and and it was a it was a good decision. I'm I'm glad I, I did that. As I beat the 2000 uh, super heavyweight uh, Olympic champion Audley Harrison yeah. as a professional, and got paid millions of pounds for it. So it was all right. so so it worked out okay. And I didn't quite win the Olympic gold, but I beat someone who did win the Olympic gold. So kind yeah. of the, the transition was okay. Yeah. yeah. Going to get on to your professional career a bit later on in the show, but um, I think it's been exactly two years today, am I right, since you last weighed? Yeah, two years today since I stepped on the scales um, before my last professional fight. I remember stepping on the scales, I felt fantastic. I remember getting on the scales and going, Yeah, I looked down at myself, I was like, Yes, he's back, he's back. And he, and he wasn't, he wasn't, he thought he, thought he was, I thought I was back, I thought that was it. And um, Tony Bellew, the bomber, had other ideas. He yeah. had other ideas, and um, it wasn't to be. Yeah. But you no, know, I, I, I know deep in my heart that everything I could have done in the lead up to that fight, I did. I know I, I, I didn't cut any corners. I didn't have any cheap meals. I didn't, you know, I wasn't doing anything I shouldn't have done that would have potentially hindered my chance in that fight. So I know I could look at myself. And know, I, as I walked to that ring, that's as good as I could have been on that night. And that, and, and if it's not good enough, it wasn't good enough. And it wasn't good enough by a long stretch. So I could say, okay, I gave, I, I gave it 100%. You know, in, in the past, you may have had fights where you think, oh, I could have done that, I should have done that. If this wouldn't have happened in training that. But this one, I, I really, really focused and used all of the experience throughout my whole boxing career to do the most perfect training camp. Everything, you know, from my nutrition to my recovery, to my sleep, to my, the sheets that I slept on, to my, my team everything my shorts you know my wrap everything was perfect finally i remember thinking i've never had a training camp that's gone so smooth i had all the right people to strengthen conditioning the, the weight i had all the right kit i had everything sorted the only thing was i was 37 years old at the time and um i wasn't 27 years old is <laughs> a, a big difference and i found that out in, in, a, in a real painful way yeah, I mean, luckily I've not had the pain, the painful experience that you had there, but I know that being 37 myself now, it's not quite as easy as it used to be. I sat on a throwing machine for over three hours yesterday, and by the end of it, I was a broken man, uh, <laughs> trying to raise money for a local, uh, a local rugby club. Um, but what you've done in the last two years is actually really interesting, because you've transitioned your whole way of training into... You know, if you don't mind me saying, you're in great shape right now. Um, you can clearly see that from the style of training you're doing, the workouts you're doing. But you were obviously in great shape before when you are in your professional career. Would you say right now that there is a difference in your um, level of fitness or have you just managed to hone all of that, you know, intensity and training and long hours that you did and put that into a shorter, more succinct um, method, which is getting good results? Um... I haven't, I haven't put all of, I put my experience, all my experiences into a shorter, a shorter period of time. Um, it's, it's, it's unpractical to train the way I used to train. First off, it's too dangerous. As a professional athlete, the way I was able to have the success I had was to push my body physically to a point where I was this close from getting injured and then just stop, pull back. So I pushed it to the limit before the engine blows up just to open my lungs as much as I can just to push the weights just to get that last rep out where, mo where most people would never go into that red zone they stay out of that zone but because I was always the smaller guy in the fight I had to be superior physically I had to be faster I had to have better endurance I had to have better time and speed everything needed to be better than the bigger guy because the bigger guys 
all it takes is one punch from them and, and I'm out of there. So I had to make sure I had the, the physical tools for 12 rounds. It's no good me being physically fit and agile and fast for six rounds and after that I fall apart so I'll get squashed. I, I know, you know nine times out of 10, the opponent who was in front of me when I, term, when I, when I fought a heavyweight was three stone, like, up to 100 pounds heavier than me. Nikolai Valuev, who I beat for the heavyweight championship, was 100 pounds heavier than me. That's a significant weight advantage. In any, in any given sport. So um, I had to be physically superior. And to do that, I really had to punish myself. But I paid the price. And I've had you know, both of my biceps. I've had shoulder surgery, kidney surgery, back surgery. I've had so many different surgeries because I've pushed it in training. I mean, you know, it's, it's because I push it so far. At some stage, your body just can't take it anymore. And the training I in your mentality to just like smash yeah. yourself and train hard and hard and hard. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a mindset. They, they say what makes you great also kills you at the end of the day. So um, the mindset I had to push beyond the pain barrier is the same reason many boxers end up with bad brain damage because they get a brain trauma, for instance, in a fight. And if they go, well, oh, something's gone in my head here. I think I might have a blood clot in my brain. Let me just stop this fight. That's, that's not allowed in boxing. That's just such a fundamental no-no. You're, you're, you're expected to die in the ring. And anything less than that, you're considered a coward. And I've grown up from that since I was 10. Right. I've been in a gym where quitting, quit, you're going to quit. What do you mean you've got one eye? What do you mean you're blind in one eye? So what? you got another eye. Use that. you got broken hands. So what? People have got no time for anything other than willing to die in a ring. And even the like armchair fans who have never boxed the day in their life, they'll see a fighter um, have a ruptured eye socket, for instance. I'll tell you a perfect example. Kel Brook, he had a ruptured eye socket against Garni Golovkin, Triple G. And he fought the biggest punch in pound for pound fighter in the world, going up two weights in the division, broke, ruptured eye socket, gave it a good go, got knocked out, got stopped, no disgrace there. He then goes and fights another pound per pound best friend in the world. And he was told after that eye socket injury that he could have lost his sight. And he was really lucky not to lose his sight because there's one thing rupturing your eye socket with all the bits of bone floating around. There's nothing getting punched in that same thing by one of the biggest punches in the world, pound for pound. Now he's in his, the fight, the fight a couple of fights later, his other eye socket goes. And obviously he's thinking, I nearly lost my sight with the other eye. Now I he goes down on one knee and goes, he's like, after being knocked down, after being way on points, he had a couple rounds to go to hit the time belt. And the amount of abuse he got for going down on one knee. Yeah. And just like, like oh, he couldn't take it anymore. Like he, he didn't quit. He just, he knew he couldn't win. But that was a perfect example of the media and boxing fans not accepting someone not dying in the ring. You know, I remember one of my, one of my, one of the most, captivating fights I've ever seen in the scene was uh, Nigel Benn when he fought Gerald McLennan. Gerald McLennan now, you know, is um, unfortunately heavily, heavily disabled. He, uh, he had a blood clot in his brain. He kept blinking throughout the fight. Obviously, there was something horrendously wrong with him. I was a big Nigel Benn fan, so I'm like, I just want him to win by any means necessary. Anyway, he goes down on one, he, he kind of goes down on one, he turns it back, and, and the commentator, I'm not sure what the commentator was, he said he swallowed it, he gave up, he swallowed it. In other words, you know, he's a coward. Anyway, he slips into a coma and he can't speak, he can't talk, he's blind now, looked after, but he's got no money. It's just horrible. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, boxing's a beautiful game, but it's got that other side. And it's, yeah, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't think anybody really realizes that. I certainly didn't. Oh. That. That's a, that is, um, you know, news to me. And from an outsider's point of view, you just don't see that in the ring, actually. You don't really appreciate that. Like I was watching earlier today, um, one of the great things about having you on board is I've been able to sit on YouTube for an excuse and watch all of your old fights. So I was watching Value okay. today. And yeah. that, to me, actually looks like you're in full control and you're just a, almost assessing the situation. And, but in actual fact, you would give absolutely everything to win that, win that match. Um, but from my point of view, looking at you, you look like you, you know what, he's got this and he knows exactly what he's doing. He's in control all the time. But in actual fact, is it is there more to it than that? I mean, were you in control all the time during that fight? There's so much more to it than meets the eye. 
what I was able to do in that fight, I could probably never do in any other time in my life because I was physically in the right position to do that. I'd done the right training. It was like a perfect storm where he was so much bigger and heavier than me. All it took was one bob in the wrong way, one weave in the wrong way. He kept connects me. And once my legs were gone, I had no way of winning that fight because the only way I had to be in and out of range, I had to give the judges the illusion that it was like a bull in a matador. I had to really slow my movements down, walk around, faint it. But I had to really posture and sort of bluff a lot of the movements I was doing to get him to dance to my tune. And yeah. it was very, very difficult. I was, I had big, tall sparring partners. Um, I had, I did everything. My coach, um, Adam, had a, had to, had these platform boots that he used to wear to put his hand up high enough to send foot for me to punch. So he had some issues of his shoulder, putting his arm. Normally when you hold the pads, it's here. But when you put it up here, it then starts jarring your shoulders. So I think he's still got shoulder issues now from that one training camp. So it's a, it's a, team, it's a team effort. Everyone's, everyone's struggling along with it. But it's all for the great, it's all for the greater good. But it was a very difficult, athletic, uh, athletically tough tournament uh, fight to take place. It wasn't grueling as though getting punched in the face, broken jaw. It was a, it was an, it was a very grueling athletic um, uh, uh, competition where I had to do everything better than I've ever done before. Like before, the, the, on the bottom of my feet, I wore the skin completely off. My feet were covered in blood after that fight because yeah. I, I wore some new socks. No one told me don't wear new socks yeah. before I, I wore some new socks and it took the skin completely off the bottom of my feet. And from the probably the third round, it was just literally, I, all of the skin was on the bottom of my feet. So I had that, the, it was a, I broke my hand, I broke my hand in the second round as well. So you'd never notice that watching it. You couldn't tell. That was the, that was that, but that was the plan. So there's a lot going on inside mm. that, that no one knows outside. But um, that was probably the, my biggest, most you know, illustrious evening where people who had no interest in boxing, just because the physical differences between us, they they had to tune in. It's like David's fighting a literal giant. Like, we're doing a giant. See us next to each other. Like, that guy's a giant. And not only is it, he looks like a giant, he looks like some sort of ogre, like from Lord of the Rings or something. He's a, he's a lovely guy, though. He's, he's a, he's a, he does children's poetry and he's a... Well, there you go. So, although I, I painted the picture that he was this big hairy yeah. ogre, he's very, I've never spoke to him, he doesn't speak English, I don't speak Russian, but yeah. people who I know know him, so he's an absolutely lovely guy. And We're going to have to get into some of the questions from um, the audience actually, but before we do, okay. I think we, we now understand that you, you put yourself through the mill when you were training in your professional career. Yeah. But can you just give us a bit of a, an insight into what you're doing now to, you know, to keep in shape? and how, how that has adapted or changed in lockdown, um, because that's really what we were about to do with BMF and the Boxing Week. Okay, yeah, I try to do a lot of body weight stuff. I try to um, do stuff when you're at home, when you don't need weights. I have access to a gym like most people do, but I like to, have something about doing body weight exercises, you know, on yourself, you know, we're human beings, you know, so I, I love to squat something heavy, but I like to, go for a minute non-stop squats and get that burn going where you're like, it's that mind over matter where you're going, oh, I can't do another 10 and you, you just keep blasting them out. I, I like that feeling. And a lot of people don't like the feeling, but if you can somehow go through the pain, you start to appreciate the lactic. You know, you need to learn to somehow enjoy the lactic. And I learned it in, as, a, as a professional athlete that when it starts burning, that's the only time it's working. If you're doing press-ups and you can do 20 press-ups, easy, but to get to 25, you've got to really struggle. You've only done five press-ups. Yeah. Until you can start feeling it, you might as well not do it, you know? Yeah. So that's the bit, I like getting into that bit where it's like, oh, here we go, can I blast them out? And you think, I've got nothing less. And you think, okay, give me two more. You're like, I'd like, I, I kind of learned that from an early age. And that's what, I'm, that's what I do. You know, with Cassius, you know, he does it. He does his press up. He can just bang out forty press ups, and he's grinding them out. So he's only, he's only just turned twelve, and um, you'll be, you'll see him, you'll see him on Wednesday. But he wants to jump in and get involved on, on, uh, on Wednesday with me to do, do a little workout. So we do some stuff, do some stuff there, just core stuff, planking, those crunches, you know, just ba basic stuff that you know, it's not rocket science. It's just doing it to good music where you like getting the flow is. And you, to do it with someone else is amazing. Maybe doing it with your partner or your kids. 
it's just a nice it's a nice way to bond it's a nice way to you know it's a nice it's a, it's a nice feeling to go through that pain barrier and look at someone else knowing they're where you are they're struggling as well but they're, they're going so you can't let them go you've got to keep push keep pushing through i always find it better to work out with someone else even if it's someone else online even if someone i've done it i've done it myself you know wesley now, a good friend of mine, uh, Wesley Morgan, is a, he's, he's a uh, great um, strength and conditioning coach. From um, I used to spar with him when I was a kid at Fitzroy Lodge. We we put the we put the we do training sessions together. We put them on. We we grind them out together. And it's always nice to have someone work with you. That's why I like the the BMF um, online digital side of things. I think that's something that's going to maintain even when this lockdown's over. People are really going to feel the benefit of even staying at home and doing it because you can't always get to the park you'd like to it might be raining outside think, okay but if you've got an indoor one i can do that session indoors and you can get great value you can do it way you can do so much more when you've got someone someone to look at someone to lead you than sometimes just doing it on your own i hate training on my own i really really dislike it i always like having someone else there to to follow me or to me to follow them I think that brings us on perfectly to our first question from Ryan French, actually, because it's talking about BMF and BMF members. Ryan, welcome to the show. You had a question for David. Oh, all right, David. It's nice to meet you, mate. You too, mate. Um, my son wants to say hello to you, if you don't mind. He's. Uh... Go, What's going on, mate? <laughs> Good to say hello. Uh, um, <laughs> um, I just wanted to... Um, so, so I've spoke to a lot of BMF members over the years and they've expressed like experiencing feelings of like nervousness and fear and, and things like that before, before taking part in sessions. I just wanted to like, just explore with you, like um, how you dealt with your nerves or fear if you did experience fear before fights. Um, I used to get very nervous, very, very nervous from my, from the age of probably 10 when I started competing um, till Maybe 15, about 15, 16. I used to get the uncontrollable butterflies in my stomach. All I was doing was thinking about the negative side of it. I'd be thinking, oh, what if he does this? I'd be just fantasizing about me getting beaten up and knocked out. And thinking, oh, then, I'd, then that would make me even more nervous. I was thinking about the worst case scenario. And it got to a stage where I just not kept knocking everybody out really easy. So I was like, why, am I, why do I feel like this? Why am I feeling so nervous and, and, and going through my mind about getting hit with jabs and missing punches and feeling like daydreaming where your feet are in mud? I was like, why am I doing that? Why not just forget about that? Why not realize that the, the only... Re the, I've got more chance of losing this fight by thinking this way and getting nervous than I have not thinking about it whatsoever, saving those nerves for the fight. I, don't, I think it was around 16 years old, I realized, just don't think about it. It sounds crazy, don't think about it. Because if you can't control your thoughts, which I couldn't at the time, all I could think about was the worst case. If I think about the fight, I think about the fight going bad. So I just said, just don't think about the fight. So I changed my mindset. So I just didn't think about it. Anytime it popped into my head, I'd think about something else. I'd have a phone someone up, talk to someone, watch something on TV or change, take my brain away from it because all you're doing by thinking about it, you can't control what your opponent's going to do. You can control what you're going to do. No matter how much I rehearse in my brain of what I'm going to do, it's not like I'm doing, you know, a shot put or something where no, there's no no other there's no other outside uh, influences. I can't control what he's going to do. It's a reactive sport. I need to slip his punch and counter. I don't know what he's going to do. So why think about it? Why not do your trip? Do the thinking in the gym when you're training. And I, once the, the, you done, you finish your last session, I just I just forget about it. I just forget about it. It's difficult to do when that's uh, that's right there looming. But I've been doing it since I was 16 years old, and I was able to tune out of it. So people go, "You don't look like you're bothered." I'm like, "I'm not." And I, are you nervous? I'm like, "I ain't thought about it." And they couldn't understand when I said I haven't thought about it because I knew I put the the gloves on. Now I'm thinking about it, but it's okay now because I'm walking to the ring. I got to the point where I didn't even think about till I got into the ring. Now I'm in the ring. I look, I look down and I'm, I walk to the ring, dance into my song, look around, enjoy, I can enjoy the moment. I can say it like a still, I used to be able to enjoy the moment in the ring. And then it's like, okay, time to go to work. And my heart just goes, dum, 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 dum. my heart just turns yeah. up. 
It's like I'm completely in control. You know, imagine you're in bed and a burglar breaks through your window. Imagine how your heart, your adrenaline just goes and you go into that fight or flight mode and your heart goes dum, 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 and, you, mm -hmm. and at that point you're ready to go crazy. Yeah. I was able to turn that on like that. I could be completely normal. My heartbeat, no more than it is now. I'd walk to the ring, get in the ring, I take a deep breath, walk around, and once I know he's in the ring, once I know it's time to fight, I go. And I don't know what I thought. It just went. I look. I'd look down at my. I could see it in my fights. I look down at my heart, and it just starts going. Dum 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 dum. And I, yeah. I look at my arms. I look at my arms, and like, I've got this superpower. I'm like, yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm ready to go now. And I start walking up and down like a caged animal. Yeah. And that's it. I'm on. The adrenaline is on to the point where you can go through anything. And I think that for me, when I was able to tune that, was the difference between winning and losing, winning and losing fights. And uh, when I got um, to a point where I got overconfident, I stopped having that feeling. It was only when I knew that I could lose this fight if I get if I do something wrong is when I turned it on. And when I was getting in the ring with people, I thought, oh, this guy's crap. It wouldn't turn on. I try and turn yeah. it on. It would, but not really. It was only I when really I was relate to that. Yeah. Yeah, I relate to that. Yeah, I relate to that a lot. Thank you very much, Ryan. We're going to have to move on and get through these because we've got loads of the questions coming in from other panellists. Um, Jell, do you want to um, just uh, turn yourself on, uh, mute, off mute there and ask your questions? I'm myself on in front of a, a national um, world champion. But, um, yes, uh, David, uh, lovely to meet you. Um, you too, you too. You touched on it already with regards to Nikolai Valuev. Um, when you trained, um, would you say that you kind of compromised on the power side of your, your fighting game? Because you mentioned earlier about you having a, a big knockout punch and what your party trick, etc. And that you concentrated more on the speed and endurance just so you could get in and out, duck and weave. I remember watching the fight live and thinking, he's just, you took him to the cleaners that night. It was like, it was a, a, an outstanding performance considering nobody was quite sure what to expect of him on the night and yourself. Um, do you think you, you did concentrate more on speed and endurance than power? Um, speed, for me, speed was the most important thing and maintaining my cruiserweight speed. Because I went from uh, 90 kilos up to 97 kilos. I wasn't that big. You know, when I fought um, Derek Dezora and Klitschko, I only weighed 95 kilos. So I'm, I wasn't, when you look at their weight, there's 150. 15 kilos so I was always giving away you know 20 kilos or so so um there was no need me worrying about being stronger than them I was never going to be strong they could all bench out bench press me or out deadlift me I, I wasn't trying to I wasn't trying to do that I just wanted to make sure their punches that were pretty heavy didn't hit me they didn't land so I had to focus a lot of my energy on my technical speed side of things and the power um so the endurance stuff the long runs that typical boxers do, the Rocky style, 10 miles in the morning, I, I never subscribed to that at all. You know, I did a lot of stuff on the Versa Climber. Um, I really found doing rounds on the Versa Climber really effective. Um, you know, push, go, like going flat out for three minutes with a sitting down in fight, fight conditions. Rest. You never start, you start off doing four rounds in the beginning of the training camp. Then you would go to five, six, and every every week you would add another round on until you were doing 12 rounds flat out for three minutes with a, and you, you, you're monitoring your heart rate. So after every round you sit down and your heart's at 192, 193 and you're blowing and you now know, okay, like a fight, your job is to concentrate, close your eyes, concentrate on lowering your heart, lowering your heart rate as low as you can go because you know you've got to go straight back on again and doing it. So, you, so I, I learned how to go to maximum and to, to, to fight maximum in a round, to know in the minute, in a minute rest, I can recover and do the same thing again. I learned that from uh, Evander Holyfield. I looked at a lot of Evander Holyfield's training methods um, when I was a cruiserweight. I really um, I started doing that with a guy, um, uh, Jamie Sawyer, um, a good strength and conditioning coach. And we, we looked at his training, his training program, because he was, for me, one of the most conditioned athletes ever in any sport. Evander Holyfield, uh, one of the, the all-time greats. Um, he used to do a, a circuit where it was three minutes, six exercises, flat out, minute rest, get your heart rate down. So I started doing that. And then I incorporated that into the, onto the Versa Climber. 
um, because I had a lot of injuries throughout my career and I found the Versa climber, there was no impact. I wasn't smashing my knees, my hips, my ankles, shoulders. It was just, I was able to empty the tank without getting too banged up. Well, not banged up at all in actual fact. So um, it was, it was ma maintaining the, the sort of power endurance, make sure my power was effective in round 12 as it was in round one. Because all good and well having a big punch in round one, but over the rounds it goes down, fighting a big guy, he'll just walk you down. So I needed to maintain that power. So I threw a lot less punches than the average heavyweight, but the ones I did throw were massive. I used to do stuff with shot puts. I used to literally launch a shot put, jog over to a shot put, pick it up, and then literally push it off your leg and blasting it out. And if you see a lot of my knockouts, I slip, and it's the same movement. It's the same movement coming through. And I was able to generate freakish power for someone who weighed 95 kilos. So it was, it was the, speed, the speed and the, 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 the power endurance, the power endurance doing, I used to get uh, uh, only 60 kilos. We get 60 kilos and just do, uh, and do, squat, do as many squats as I can in a minute. And then once I've put that down, I'll get up into the ring and then do my shadow boxing and then rest for a minute and go back to that and keep do rounds of that. And I found that in fights, I wouldn't really get that tired. You know, as long as it was, as long as I was able to slow the pace down with my power, I was able to recover. So I'd, the punches I'd throw were very effective and hard, but the opponent wouldn't want to keep, after he takes the punches, he wouldn't want to keep going. He'd be like, oh, let me just let me take, let me recover from this. And as he's recovering, I'm recovering. And no one really picked up on that. And I was able to have a very, very, very healthy, very healthy years doing it. Yeah, thanks for that. I've got a few lesson plan ideas now. Thank right, good stuff, good stuff. Smashing. <laughs> well, thanks. Rob Francis, you had a question about um, about lockdown and a uh, bit of feeling defeated. Just take yourself off. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Tommy. Um, hi, David. Um, first hi. of all, David, what size feet you got, buddy? I'm uh, 11 and a half, 12. Darn, I quite like those red trainers behind you. I was hoping I might be able to borrow them, but you're not my size, so I'll have to, I'll have to pass on that. Um, but, um, yeah, what Tommy was saying there, some of our members, it's, we've been in lockdown a long time now, and, um, and it, it seems to be stretching out in front of us. And at times, we have lots of chats on our social group and everything, and at times, um, members have expressed, feeling a little bit defeated at times, uh, and defeat is a strong word, but, you know, when you're feeling, you, you relate to it being on the back foot, you're struggling. So what can we do or where do you find that little bit of uh, strength or resolve or that motivation to keep going at times when times are tough, like we're finding it at the moment with this with this lockdown? What, what's your little motivator? I, I, I always try to look at the end goal. Um, sometimes, you know, you figure out where you want to get to, what you want to do, what your final destination is, because if you don't have a destination, you're just going to go all over the place. You, know, you need to know where you're heading to. And at this time, if, if you're restricted, if you can't move around and do the things you need to do, that's part of it. How can you improve yourself in this time with the, with the limited parameters that you have to still edging forward closer to your goal? So you need to have, you need to have a goal and or have that goal in mind, whether you're writing about that goal, whether you're thinking about it, talking to someone else about that goal, even though you can't do anything active, build, even if you can't do something, if you want to be a, I don't know, a racing car driver, you can't go and practice car. Or you can watch other racing car drivers. You can study the, the history of the car, the wheel, the tire, the, you know, there's different uh, emotional states you may be able to practice meditation to get yourself further. So there's, no matter what it is that you're trying to get to, even with these restrictive parameters, you can make yourself better in some way, shape or form. So I think having some plan of action helps every single day. And not to think, oh, I'm stuck in the house. I want to do this. I can't do it. It's terrible. I'm going to start drinking. I'm going to eat this pizza. No, that's the, e that's the easy way out. And in life, you get put, hurdles get put in front of you for all the time. No one has a clear slipstream to the top. Doesn't work that way. Everybody gets knocked down. You, it's all about how you get back up, dust yourself off, and keep moving forward, finding another angle. If this doesn't work, okay, yeah. To know what door to go through in life, you need to go through plenty of wrong doors. I've gone through tons of wrong doors, but you just got to keep going through doors. You don't stop going through doors because one might be wrong. Or, um, it's locked down. I'm to quit on this idea. So for me, it's figuring out what it is you want, where you want to get to, and what can I do today, tomorrow, the next day. Have a diary. If you think you're not going to get back to work for two weeks, then okay, write down what you're going to do in every single area. Okay, I'm going to study anatomy and physiology a little bit more. I need to know about the muscles. Someone might ask me, 
you know, about, you know, what muscle group is used doing this particular exercise. Why don't I just brush up on that? Stuff that you already know, but might not be on the front of your mind. Just try to better yourself in some type of department because nobody's perfect in every department. So just try to brush up and clean up any, any little thing, whether it's, you know, learning our language or going on a piano. It's trying to do something, anything. I think, you know, at this point, if you can't find a way to keep yourself mentally tuned in now with so much not happening, you know, it's, you need to look into, look inward and ask yourself, why is that? Something's stopping you. Something will be stopping you improving. And what you got to look and figure out what that may be to then overcome it. Because, you know, I know, you know I, I've had a chat with a few of buddies of mine and they're like, oh, I can't believe it. You know, I'm sitting at home. I haven't drunk this much so long. I'm like, Okay, I've done the exercise now. I can't be, can't be bothered. I'm like, well, you was exercising before here. You know, is it? Is it? Is it? It's a form of people. It appears as though it's kind of a form of depression that people are punishing their body because of what's happening outside here. When the only thing that matters is life is the body. That's all we have. Your house can be taken away. Your kids, your family, everything can take taken away from you. All we're left with is our body. So why not try and look after that one thing that can that can. Uh, affect our uh, standard of living you know i like that yeah yeah because if you if you don't if you don't look at in if you don't look at trying to prove that everything else will crumble and i found the healthier i've been the better everything else has been around me you know whenever I, the bad stuff has happened in my life is when i was at my most unhealthy when i've been drinking too much or eating too many eating my bad food or not really training too hard or just you know skipping things everything else seemed to crumble whereas the more i've tuned in you know, physically watching what I'm eating, what I'm sleeping, all the little things, opportunities seem to, I don't know what it is. It might be fluky, but the more you look, you know, you improve yourself, the more the outward opportunities improve. That's just hundred percent how I've seen it. So I think what you're saying, goal set. And we talk yeah. about it a lot within BMF with our members, set ourselves goals, small ones, big ones. Yeah. And then, and then just pick those little little wins every, and push little, those little wins. Little wins, little wins every day. You can have an ultimate target, but to get there, you need to do, you need to fill these, these little ones. Small every steps. Day. Small steps. Okay, if you did uh, X amount on a treadmill this week, next, by next week, I'm going to do another 10 minutes of this at this time on this incline. Okay, so in your mind, you're thinking about it. You've, if you don't have a, a goal, you're just going to jog and when you get tired, you're going to get off. You're not going to improve. And there's so many different elements of, of our physicality that we can improve daily. Just doing a little bit, a little couple of press-ups. Before you go to the toilet, drop down, give yourself 10 press-ups every time. <laughs> you go to the toilet 10 times a day. It's 100, 100 press-ups, 700 press-ups a week versus somebody who does none. Whatever it is, it's these tiny little things, but make little little games for yourself. That's why that's what I do. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. David, we're gonna to have to move on, Rob. I hope that was helpful. Thanks. Uh, that's great. Thank you very much, David. Um, David, we're going to have a quick, quick fire round now before we get into the final sort of wrap up. So um, just from Peter Lindsay, who's one of the live audience, 20 years is a long time of getting punched in the face. But if you had a chance to go back and fight in any era, who would you most like to give the haymaker to and which ring and why? Um, if I was if I was able to fight any uh, fighter in history, it would have to be the greatest, it'd have to be Muhammad Ali. Um, for me, he was the best, uh, you know, not only inside the ring, but outside the ring, what he stood for, what, you know, his principles, the fact that, you know, you know, in his peak, in his prime, he decided to uh, oppose the Vietnam War, you know, and it was a very unpopular decision at the time. Um, and he stuck by his beliefs, his, his religion, his, his personal beliefs, he stuck by it and it took his belts away he wasn't able to, able to box for over three years. And now looking back, it seemed like it was a smart thing for him to do. But to do that in his peak, you know, very few athletes would go against the system, the status quo of the time, the way he did. And um, that for me, there's loads of other stuff he's done throughout his life. So I'd, I'd have loved to get in there and, and mix it up with the greatest and to see if I could land it. I don't think I could have done it. I'd have liked to see on what version of me would it be. I would have liked my cruiserweight version to have a go because I was a bit faster then yeah. the heavyweight the heavyweight version I don't think I'd have, I'd have had much chance uh, yeah. at all so I might have been able to land a few jabs maybe but um yeah. prime primarily even when he was way past his best he was able to beat you know, the great George Foreman you know when yeah. George Foreman was undefeatable you know when he beat Joe Fraser Ken Norton knocked them both out and they had both beaten Ali at the time 
He was way past his prime, way past his best. He found a way to win. He, he was so mentally strong, so mentally in tune that it was, it was such a beautiful, such a uh, beautiful fight. One of my favorite fights of all time. I would have loved to have known how long I would have lasted. Could I have lasted 15 rounds? I don't know. Probably not. But I'd have loved to have seen how good I would have done against uh, Mohamed Ali. Brilliant. Great, great answer. Thank you very much for that. Um, you, you're obviously very, very passionate about boxing. You talk very um, uh, well about it and, you know, um, lots of great stories. Let's go on to Cassius, your son, who, you know, you're training with all the time at the moment. You've obviously inspired him in some way to keep active and fit. but um, when he first got into sport, talk, talk us through the sort of decisions and why you got him into tennis. Um, I didn't get him into tennis as such. I was going past, a, I was in the gym and um, they had a little crash in there at the time, the gym I was training in. And there was some kids, similar sort of age, playing, doing a tennis um, a tennis club for like four-year-olds. So I was hitting them with sponge balls. It looked really cute. And he was like, oh, do you, said, do you want to do that? He went, yeah, I want, to, I want to do that. So the next week we brought him in there. Really enjoyed it, really liked it. And we kept going down there. Like, go down there once or twice a week. Then we got him a, a private private lessons. We got him some lessons with a coach. Because I thought, if you're going to do a sport, it's good to get the foundations set right. You know, there's not, no need doing a sport where you're building terrible technique. So by the time you get a coach, it's too late. You've already got a terrible horrendous technique and nothing to do so I made sure from from basically the start he had you know he had um uh, he had some he had a good coach making sure that his form was right his his uh his technique was good and we just kept that going he kept that going and he, he really thoroughly enjoyed it he hasn't really shown any uh, only recently he started doing a bit more boxing he hasn't I've never, I've never really pushed boxing yeah. on um, on him at all I just your success has been a motivation for him to to you know be as um, as as successful as he is already in the tennis game. Um, I don't know. I think I think so. I think so. I think he, you know, he's, he's you know, being called Cassius Hay. You know, a lot of people thought he might end up being a boxer, but uh, <laughs> he uh, he's 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 built for tennis. If you look at his physique, you know, he's he's got big legs. He's got narrow shoulders, long arms, very lean, very wiry, athletic, super 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 athletic. So for tennis, he's, he's very, very athletic for, you know, he wins all the bleep tests and all yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. But he's got that thing that I used to have when I was a kid. Yeah. And I go to any running race or any, any sport, you'd, I'd just naturally be better than 99% of people. I think you've, you've put so many good take-home points here. I mean, throughout the whole um, session this evening, you've talked about dedication, determination, focus, hitting goals, getting on with it, not thinking about it, getting the job done, you know, all of those things. Um, question for you, for I suppose, what you've experienced with your son and what, what he's doing and the amount of fitness that he does now and for yourself previously, um, champions, are they born or made? Um, it helps to get some good genetics. It never hurts, believe me. It's, um, you, can be, you can be made, you know, I, I, you know, I know lots of people who were born champions they were born with all of the genetic gifts with all of the attributes to speed timing you know natural endurance natural hand-eye coordination but they failed and i think it was because their will to uh be a champion wasn't as strong as their will to get high or get drunk or have fun and that's the difference you need to want it no, just because you've got the tools doesn't mean anything. There are so many guys, so much more physically more gifted than I am. Look, go to America, walk around the mall in America, look at these big ass dudes. You think, why am I? I remember walking around thinking, how did I become heavyweight champion? And all of you guys ain't. You know, it was like, I couldn't comprehend it. It's because in my mind, my, I, I set a goal. And I, although I wasn't that big, I was way smaller than everybody. But it wasn't about the size. It was about how much you want it. What are you willing to go through? How much pain are you willing to have? How much sacrifice? How many headaches? How much how many broken bones are you willing to take to get to what you want to get to? And so most people... That's up here, obviously, isn't it? Up you know? there. Up there. You know, I've got... You know, you have a, you have a, I don't think it... I think it's something you, you learn. I think it's something that you learn. It helps having the genetics, obviously. But that's not, it's not always there. You can still make it without the genetics. There are many great fighters 
who weren't that athletically gifted, they just had the engine. They just had that grind through the pain to get there. You know, a lot of um, athletically gifted people, including myself at, at an early age, would rely on, um, I'd rely on my natural athleticism too much. Mm. And I, I've lost the guys who were nowhere near as uh, fast or athletically just because they had the hunger. My first loss against Carl Thompson is a perfect example of that. You know, I had the physical tools in terms of speed and youth, timing. I had all, the, I had all that stuff on him. He had the heart. He had he put he paid the price. He punished himself, and he went into the fight knowing he was going to get beat up for a while. But he was willing to get beaten up. I wasn't. I was like, I ain't getting beaten up by this old guy. It was always always all a mindset. Yeah. And, um, it was a tough pill to swallow. It was a tough lesson to learn. But you need to you need to want it more than the other guy. You need to want to win more than anyone else in the world if you want to get. To that number one spot, and not that, many people. That, that champion, that champion mindset, and that mentality that's ingrained in you, and it's still obviously clearly ingrained in you now. Um, you can see it from the way you kind of carry yourself, and just the way you talk about things, the intensity that you talk about things. But is that is that mental resilience? So, in the your first your first fight that you lost, or maybe one of the um, later ones in the later stages, that level of um, resilience that you need to bounce back is that something that you have to work on or is it something that uh, you that, that, I think the bounce back ability is uh is something that is, is is I think it's ingrained in you you've either got it or you haven't you can't teach someone it you can't tell someone who's had a bad experience to just dust himself off and carry on it's okay don't worry about that if, if, it, if it's hurt them if it's traumatized them emotionally so much that they can't go back to it again that's it you get some people who have a have a bad experience in a car they can never get into a car again or they got scared by a spider when they was a kid they can't go into a spider same thing with snakes you get these people who have these fears these phobias of things and they can't get over it you know fortunately i've i've any time i've i've kind of i lean into the the trauma if if I've been if I've been hurt by something, I'll want to go back to that exact same thing and turn it up and see if I can get through it again. And I I want I've always wanted to kind of test myself. If there's there's a scenario or a, a situation which is pretty scary, it induces that feeling that I was talking about earlier. That little butterflies. It's like oh, I could be embarrassed here. I kind of go for go towards that. I did a poker tournament. I, I learned how to play poker. Uh, yeah. recently for a year is a documentary on Amazon Prime if you haven't seen it, it's yeah. called uh, David versus Goliath where I, yeah. I go from not knowing how to play poker and I learned to play poker and I remember walking to the final tournament it was all it was all about me going to Goliath in Coventry the biggest poker tournament in the world it was all about me training to get to there and I remember walking to that final tournament thinking there's a lot of people going to be watching this this they're making a documentary about this everyone's going to watch it and I'm, I, I had the same feelings that like I used to have I was like, oh, I was like, here we go. It's getting real now. And it was, it was having that feeling that just forced me to have to, have to tune in. And you put yourself out of your comfort zone in a big way. Oh, I, heard to... the, um, I heard in one of the um, uh, trailers for that show that one of the guys that was teaching you said he's, he's never seen anybody like it learn so quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, you put yourself in something which is challenging and difficult and you've got through it pretty well. Yeah, you need, it's being comfortable in your uncomfort zone. A lot of people, get, particularly in training and fitness, you do something, it's a bit uncomfortable. You've got two, <laughs> oh, gonna, you, get, you get two different types of people. You get people who feel the pain, the, the, the lactic in their throat, their heart's pumped to oh, oh, that off. No, no, stay away from that. And you get other people who, 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 who buzz off it. They learn to buzz off it. Not, no one buzz off it the first time they do it. It's something you've got to do daily. You do, if you do it every day, you, you touch that little bit and then you can push that little bit further. But every time you're, you, you're getting a sense of accomplishment, a sense of achievement, and you, you, your heart rate's getting that bit high, you're monitoring your heart rate. You're monitoring your heart rate lowering down after a scene. Okay, last time when I got my heart rate to 190, it took three minutes to get down to 130. Now, you know, I'm getting it down to 130 in a minute and a half. I'm like, I'm twice as fit as I was. And you start looking at those little marginal gains. And you, that starts, you start forgetting about the pain and start thinking about the results, thinking about the numbers. I think numbers are really important to try to log so you can see. It's one thing feeling like you had a good session. There's another thing seeing it. And yeah. I definitely feel 
Like working in your uncomfort zone as much as possible makes your comfort zone uncomfortable. So that everybody. brings us on really nicely to this uh, <laughs> this training week. You've like you've pitched it really. You've either scared a few people off and they're thinking, <laughs> "I'm ducking out," or they're all they're all getting ready, <laughs> no, ready for this. No, no, what, what I want to do, I'm not going to do anything crazy. It's going to be I'm going to do a round format. I'm going to do two minute rounds and a minute rest. So we're going to do two minutes of two minutes of action, two minutes of exercise. You have probably four different exercises in that in that two minute period with a minute rest. You know, like a boxing match. And in that minute rest. You can keep marching, you can you can jog yeah. on the spot, you can do what you want, but then we're gonna go back for a minute. I'll let you know what exercises we're gonna do in those in the in the in the two minute in the two minute round. You know, we're all body weight stuff, all stuff that we can all do and all, all different exercises, which anyone can do at any level. As long as everyone goes to their level, you know, you can't lose. As long as you get to the end, as long as you get through it, you know, that's the main thing. And this is a different format that people may not have used before in the past something that I do I like to do I normally do like 30 seconds rest but I'm gonna do a minute rest you know I'm gonna do it with Cassius Cassius my son who's 12 he's gonna do it with me he does it with me all the time and you know he's pretty fit so it, it should be funny so it should be something different throw some shadow boxing in there as well it's a little boxing flavor good so that's on at uh, 6 p.m on Wednesday night YouTube live the be military fit uh, YouTube page and then we'll be streaming again on Friday morning at 9 45. Um, so you've got Cassius taking part in both of them. So it's obviously a family-friendly workout. Anybody yeah, can take part? Yeah, anyone, anyone can get involved. Uh, you, everyone does it to their level. You know, I'm not saying everyone has to do this. I don't want to give everyone a heart attack. It's not, I'm going to try to, it's more, of an in, it's more of an intermediate type of session. If you do what we're doing, it should, you should be able to, if, you, if you're used to doing exercise, if you're used to going to, going to the park two or three times a week doing uh, your boot camp training, then this will be this will be perfectly fine for you, uh, and Brilliant. it's easy. You can you can blast through it. And you've got some music to put in the background. Is there anything similar to your uh, walk-on music? Because we need to yeah, know. I, yeah, I, I love seventies funk. I love like eighties, seventies, eighties, rare groove, soul, earth, wind, and fire, cool in the gang. I love that. That's my era of music. And my walk-on music is "Ain't No Stopping Us Now" by McFadden and Whitehead. You know, proper disco classic. That I've uh, I've loved, and I remember what the barbecues uh, when we have family family uh, functions. They always put that on, and that's the one that got everybody up on their feet. So I chuck that in there as well for you guys. So awesome. uh, if, you're, if you're a boxing fan, you'd you'd recognise the song. You'd recognise that's the song you see me walking out to on my title fights too. Very good. Uh, that wraps it up really nicely for us. But if there's anything that you could kind of advise our BMF members now in lockdown, David, um, three simple steps to get through lockdown. Uh, stronger any advice um try to do something different every day try to pick an exercise of some description whether it's body weight squats sumo squats straight squats split squats try and pick an exercise that day so that's your day's exercise and outside of this you know maybe it's press-ups clap press-ups and just try to do 10 or 15 or 20 of these exercises throughout the day and try and tally up to between 100 and 200 a day and just try and do that every day just whatever it may be wake up in the morning think about a different exercise i mean that's my exercise day and jot it down every time you do it so at the end of the day you know you've done 100 split squats there you go that for me just doing something it doesn't take that much energy you're not going to get all hot and sweaty but you're constantly active if you do a different exercise like that every day at the end of the week, tally up what you've done. And that's a, that's a good, solid hour and a half, two hours of workout right there on top of whatever else you're specifically doing training. So just a little bit, just remember, you've got this body and your body can do so much more than sit around and look on Instagram. You know, there's, uh, there's lots of other stuff that, that you can do physically. You know, if you're not out walking up and downstairs at work, you're not walking to the shops back and forth, try and do something every day and tally them up and see who can get the most challenge your friends phone your friends up and say right then today we're doing press-ups let's see who can do how many press-ups by the end of the day okay now we're doing uh, i don't know whatever it be sit-ups or crunches or whatever the exercise is see who can do the most out of your little group of friends it just gives it makes it the day a little bit more healthier makes it a little more interesting so you've got this body, you get out and use it. I love that. Exactly, exactly. That's the one. Uh, David, there's been hundreds and hundreds of people commenting on Facebook, um, on the live feed there. 
Uh, we're never going to have time, I'm afraid, to all the followers who are out there to go through all the questions. Uh, we'll try our best to look at them afterwards and uh, comment where we can and answer for you. Massive, massive thanks to everybody who's followed, followed us on Facebook this evening. Um, this is Monday Night Live. We do it every Monday at the moment during lockdown. Uh, this has been a really, really special one, obviously, having David Hay here with us um, to take us through the 60 minutes. I hope it's been uh, extremely interesting. It certainly has for, for myself and everybody in the live audience that's been part of this um, session. Thanks for joining us as well. David, uh, massively appreciate you um, putting this week on for BMF. It's going to be a great week. I'm looking forward to it. My kids are revved up for it and um, we're going to train hard with you all week. So um, huge thanks and uh, see you soon. Listen, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Be Military Fit podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did and you'd like to learn more about us, please visit bemilitaryfit.com or visit our YouTube channel for our latest workouts.